grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. I've heard it said that there is a right way and a wrong way to do everything. I remember the first time I was baling hay for a neighbor. Now, I grew up on a farm and I had baled hay before quite successfully, I want you to know. He told me I was doing it wrong. That I didn't pick the bale up right and turn and put it down on the grass correctly. I didn't much care for the way he wanted me to do it. I also didn't much care for the low wages that he paid to me. Back in the day when I was a youth, the minimum wage was $3.35 an hour. He paid me that, and he took out Social Security. <laughs> so I never went back. I never went back because I had a relative who hired me to do easier work for more pay. I got to ride in a tractor, an air-conditioned cab tractor, and just drove while other people were in the back loading the hay. And I got $5 an hour without anything taken out. That was for a short season of my life, and it certainly wasn't sinful. It was smart to leave. However, for God's people in Joel's day, life was much different. I left a difficult employer <coughs> to follow one who cared about and provided well for me. They were doing just the opposite. And God, who is described as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and who relents from sin and calamity, was calling them to return. And he used a crisis to do so. Crisis, the first thing that may come to mind for us is the weather that we've gone through this past week. I've heard stories as I've been reaching out to other people at Concordia and other places. And as I reach out, I've heard some really incredibly interesting stories about how much people had to deal with the, the sub, the freezing temperature. One place I heard from today, they said they lived at the bottom of a hill that was way too steep to get out once it had iced over. They lost electricity, they lost water, they're on five acres with animals. It was hot. The temperature at the house was four degrees outside. Mm -hmm. Just a day. Crisis. You may think of the pandemic or the injustice and oppression, the situations of refugees around the world and various kinds of slavery. Crisis has come up upon a couple families in this congregation. The Marys have lost their father, Walter, passed away on Sunday night, 96 years of age. We also have Barbara. She, fortunately today, even though she has an E. coli infection, has actually come out of the hospital today. Becky's not here because she's taking care of Barbara. God. The crisis during Joel's day is overwhelming destruction from locusts. And that is a reminder of the day to come, a day of judgment. Not only for Israel's enemies, but for all people, including Israel. So the message was, re repent and return to your God. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. According to our text from Matthew, there is a right and wrong way to give, Pray, fast, and store up treasures. The wrong way is to do these things to win the favor, respect, and honor of people. Even people that we think really matter. The right way is to do these things not with other people as the focus, but with our Heavenly Father as the focus. Ash Wednesday is certainly a time to repent and return to God. To repent of the evil that we do. 
sins of thought, word, and deed. Sins, as Harry Wendt has said, of commission, things that we commit or do, of omission, things that we fail to do that we should have done, and no mission. Basically, when our life is nothing bigger than our own personal comfort and pleasure, looking out for the kingdom of one, rather than living under Jesus and his kingdom. But it is also a time for us to reflect this Lenten season, as I read about in Timothy Keller's books, on the reasons I do the good things. Do I do things like prayer, more concerned about how others think I'm doing, than really seeking, delighting in, and petitioning our holy, almighty, gracious, and loving God? If I'm more concerned about what others think, I need to repent for doing the right thing the wrong way. And when it comes to churning, remember Jesus. He is the one who gives repentance. Remember, it's a gift from God. It isn't something we're trying hard to do. It's a gift that God gives us to bring conviction, opens our eyes to the truth, and brings the changes we need. 2 Corinthians 7.10 reminds us that there's even a right and wrong way to have sorrow over our sins, worldly and godly. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Now I want you to think on this just for a moment. I think I've shared this story with you before, but my goodness, sometimes we forget. So I was in Pharaoh's Ranch. The previous congregation I served was in Bernie, Texas. Pharaoh's Ranch is just a small community just to the north side. And it's really spread out. A lot of it's in the country. And so the, the streets out there are are 35 miles an hour in the country. Long stretches where 35 miles an hour feels really slow. And so one time I was not doing speed limit. And all of a sudden I saw the red and blue lights in the top of my car. And I was, oh, okay. And my initial thought, my immediate thought was, why don't they go out and catch a real criminal? And then I thought, wait a second, I just broke the law. I am a real criminal. <laughs> they were doing their job. Most of the people I know when they get pulled over by the police do not have godly sorrow. They have the rats, I got caught sorrow, which is the worldly sorrow. Doesn't lead to repentance. It leads to try to do more things to not get caught. Godly sorrow, as I've been reading in this book called Help People Grow, is really different than I think what I've experienced my whole life. This is a point that I really want you to catch tonight. It's so important to us. You see, if I were to read to you the verses that follow this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, this is what it says. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And then it goes on to say this. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. I've always thought godly sorrow is a sorrow that says, I know whether I'm caught or not, but I've been wrong before God, and look how bad I am. How many of us deal with guilt on an ongoing basis and live under condemnation from ourselves or others and live under a heavy hand of guilt? 
Does guilt turn me outward or inward? Inward. And so if guilt is turning me inward, am I really interested in all those things? Am I seeking to make a difference in the other person's life? Am I interested? Do I have earnestness and eagerness to go and make things right? Or do I have an earnestness to continually think about how awful I am, how much I blew it, how lousy I am? You see, the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, worldly sorrow leads to death because it continues to focus inward rather than saying, look how my sin impacted them. Wouldn't it be great if we took our sin, we recognized our sin, we brought it to Jesus, we lived in his forgiveness, and then we got up and said, now how did my sin impact those around me so I can love them and make things right in their lives, not to make up for my sin, but because my sin has impacted them negatively. Just think of it. If you do a private sin, does that ever impact how you live and act towards those around you? You see, the godly sorrow isn't keeping more abuse on yourself or more guilt on yourself. It's actually running to the cross living in forgiveness and reconciliation and then impacting others with guilt. That's what this Lenten season can be all about. True godly sorrow. Outward sorrow. Sorrow about how this has impacted those around me rather than just a personal touch. Isolation certainly reminds us of death. The death that is natural because of our sin, and the death that has been defeated through Jesus' death on the cross. His death and resurrection means life and salvation for us. His death and resurrection for us means we don't have to keep living under guilt and shame, but can be free to love our neighbor. Which it leads to praying, giving, fasting, and living the right way. The way with Jesus. Following Jesus. Depending upon Jesus, <coughs> longing for the day when all these crises will be over and we will live and reign with Jesus. And so, today, as we remember that we are dust and the dust we will one day return, we do the smart thing and return to God, who always does what is right, through His Son, our Savior, Jesus.